Hello, everyone, and welcome to In the Finest Hour, a 40K competitive podcast that teaches you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am, as always, your host, Sean Morgan, occasionally known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me my ever-present good podcast host, Shaylin Allen-West. Greetings. And the ever-lurking evil podcast host, Ben Jurek. Happy fourth day of Halloween, Sean. You know, there's so many days of Halloween, it's it's a spooky, spooky season. Yeah, I'm taking the entire month. Every day is Halloween. Just what day of Halloween is it? <laughs> I, I feel like it deserves it. Like, if we're going to have a month-long holiday, I'd much rather be Halloween than Christmas. Seriously. Yeah, I, I'm just using it to uh, wear off the, the rest of the year the way this year has been. Yeah. Oh, boy. I, I have been having fun sneaking little Halloween pictures up at work. Oh, yeah. Every day there's a new Halloween picture stuck to something. <laughs> well, to to get away from the uh, the ongoing calamity that is this year, uh, let's let's do a little roundtable quiz here. What was each of your last, like, good competitive game that you had with someone that you really enjoyed and, like, you, it, was, it was really, like, a big experience for you? Well, LVO was the last big of... Nope, that's a lie. I had played NGT after that, but LVO comes <laughs> to mind in a specific game against uh, Danny McDevitt, uh, who's on another oh, yeah. podcast, and I can't recall the name of it right now. Um, uh Gosh dang it! I'm being being really rude. I'll I'll figure it out by the end of the cast, I'm sure. But um, he was playing one of the Iron Hands lists, and I was playing a, a twenty mega nub orc list. Um, and the and it was like we had both just recently lost a game, and we both we knew we were kind of out of it. Um, and he had played uh Anthony Birdsong earlier, who's who's also in like the top three orc players in the world. So he was like, gosh dang it, because you know he didn't want to play really good orc players. Mm-hmm. Um, and we play a very uh, a very competent game against each other. And I he has like uh, an air wing of uh, the Iron Hands flyers, the the dreadnought with the stupid warlord trait. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, geez. he has centurions. Yeah. Like it was it was a very brutal list. And I ended up like picking up. Uh, I get turn one. I end up picking up the majority of his flyers right away. Uh, and on turn one, and like completely zap something else with a shock attack gun. And like he put him on the back foot pretty hard, so he was not happy about that. But he ended up climbing climbing it back and uh, ended up ruining me because Thunderfire cannons and Shinshirians <laughs> will win a game on their own. Yep. Um, but I I ended up losing that game. But it was just we were just laughing and having a good time. It was so gentlemanly. But like it was such a high level competition. We're pulling out every source of 40k knowledge and um you know you know high skill play. Uh, mm-hmm. But we're just you know we're being complete absolute gentlemen to each other and it was it's it's a game that comes to my mind is very memorable and very fun yeah shaylin how about you so in 2019 i kind of had to take most of 40k off because of my work schedule and i played in the narrative at lvo where i didn't have a lot of competitive experience so i kind of have to lean back to 2018 before i hit my last really good competitive game which is embarrassing Mm -hmm. It happens. We all got lives. Uh, yeah. Um, and it was the the one I can remember easiest uh, was the game I played against uh, JT McGat- McDowell um, at that uh, tournament out in Canada we went to. Uh, Broadside oh, Bash? Yeah. He and I played a very, very tight game um, with his Dark Eldar and my Grey Knights, and we were trading units, and I was trading them better than he was, and that's how I won the game, but it was quite close. That'll do it. And JT's just adorable to play. JT is a really great guy. I've had a blast every time I've played him. And he's he's good, too. He, uh, Mm -hmm. He can really sling some elves around the table. Oh, yeah. He was not expecting to lose two Grey Knights that day. Yeah, well, it they, they they've been getting better. Mm-hmm. It, this is uh, this might sound, come off as a little weird, but my I think my most recent like really good game that I played was actually against you, Ben. Uh, oh. That that first game we we played where like because I had 
I had heard of you. I had like seen you around at a handful of events now and again. Uh, but I had never had the pleasure of uh, playing you till we we finally went head to head in that uh, RTT match. That was um, pretty brutal. I had never really like I was vaguely aware of that uh, like orc mech list that you were running at the time, or it wasn't. I don't know if you, you can even really call it a mech list, but it was the the one that had the. All the mech the guns. List. Yeah, the, the Freebooter list, which I like when I saw that book came out, I looked at Freebooters and I said, someone is going to do something really clever with this. And then, you know, I came up against your list. I was like, oh, this is the someone who did something really yeah, clever that a, with this. That was, that was BAO. Uh, yeah, was the cool. the like mini RTT they did after the. um the 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 main tournament for everyone who did not make top eights. Yeah, I was I had a really high battle score, but still X and two, so I didn't I didn't make that one. I had to go in that RTT, and that that yeah. was that was a that was a pretty dang, dang good game. Um, it was. I uh, I did make a did make a significant mistake that I was I still kick myself for when I think about that game. But yeah, that was I I really. I, I really wonder how that game would have played out if there had been that, like, half inch of difference there, because it really was that small. Uh, but three, turn, three more turns of Shock Attack Gun would have been pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> that that probably would have been pretty rough for my list. Uh, but it's it's one of those things that, like, it's so easy to forget that just, like, the Solitaire can go basically wherever he wants. And the fact that he starts, you know, 40 inches away from you and there is a single one inch gap next to your character, you don't think about that until it's too late. But it's it's one of those things where, like, sometimes elves can really punish you. Mm-hmm. Yep, that was definitely the that goes in the uh, the category of deployment mistakes. Yes, which we all make now and again. It happens to everyone. So let's go ahead and kind of roll over from there into a slightly different tournament topic. And and one that is a little bit outside of our, our usual purview. This week we're talking about conversions and 3D printed models. Uh, this was this was actually one that Ben you had kind of suggested, and the other two of us thought would be a, a really good subject for things. Yeah, I recently got into it a little bit more myself. I mean, I'm an orc player, so I've been doing conversions forever because mm-hmm. orcs are one of the most conversion-friendly armies in the ga- in the game. But absolutely. Um, on top of that, like, there's a there's a lot of fun things you can learn in the hobby, um, and it's really it's a it's an important important thing that people should you know talk about, uh, even in the competitive landscape. Yeah. Oh yeah. For players who are going to tournaments, there is often a lot of concern about what kind of conversions are appropriate or acceptable, and what kind of bits they can or can't use, and what the standards at different tournaments are. Uh, That's sort of a, a source of anxiety I see for a lot of players, and... While the standards are different at every tournament, um, I, I think we can we can do a lot to kind of dispel some of the common myths and talk about the guidelines that are going to be acceptable at 90% of tournaments. A, a 90-10 solution, as Shailene might say. Yes. Yeah, I think I think there's a the thing I want to bring up the most at the beginning is there's there's a lot of options you have. Um mm-hmm. like uh, and it's not just printing and conversions. We're talking like uh, green stuffing models. We're talking third-party models. We're talking taking a cool toy and making it grim dark and just making it super cool. Like mm-hmm. most, like there's a very significant part of the world that's gonna be perfectly cool with that. And especially on like a less competitive table, it's gonna be super awesome. You're like, oh wow, that you that that you call that a coconut? That's amazing. Like right, and you could have made it from freaking cardboard. Like. It, there's there's a lot of fun to have in this hobby when you're uh with just you know playing around and uh, seeing what you can make really mm-hmm. 
So what would you say is sort of the the number one guideline that uh, you think is going to help most players out? It's like you're going to a tournament, you're unsure about the status of your conversions, aside from just ask the TO, which obviously good advice, but a very case by case kind of thing. But if you were if you were sort of making a list of rules or guidelines, what would you say is number one, Ben? Um, number one is, uh, always, well, after you make one, I think number one is make sure that you're, that the tournament's going to approve it in general. Like, right. But let's, we'll, we'll set TO approval aside because that is so variable. Yeah. It's not something anyone can count yeah. on. Uh, well, the second is don't model to advantage. Cause that's going to get your stuff denied. Like, um, that, that's my number one is don't. Can you explain what you mean by model for advantage for a little bit? Because I think that's a term that gets tossed around a lot, but maybe maybe is not always used quite correctly. So modeling for advantage is when you take a model, um, whether it's a current model uh, or like just your regular model, and change something about it to be advantageous to yourself. Usually, usually in a case of making it smaller, less line of sight, or making it possibly bigger to give it more line of sight. Or to give it a bigger base to give it a bigger aura if it has an aura effect. Right. Um, there's there's a there's a those are the like the big no's that you shouldn't be doing. Um. And like there the reasons for conversion is usually there's usually two big reasons. People are usually doing it to because they don't have something to, and to save money or to just be cool. Um. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people that just do conversions just because they like to do conversions and they'll. Uh, buy some very expensive kits, um, put them together oh, just because yeah. that's what they want to do. Conversions are not always cheaper. Definitely. Yep, definitely. Definitely not. But I'm saying it's one reason why people do it. It's like, yeah. well, I only have one Reaper chain cannon. Right. Um, I, I need three more Reaper, Reaper chain, chain cannons. Yeah. Uh, to add to that, just real quickly, I would say uh, my broad guidelines are that Melee units should not be smaller than their original version, and shooting units should not be larger, because generally speaking, melee units want less line of sight, and shooting units want more line of sight. So so my guideline is make it about the same size, as close as you can. Try to shoot for the same size. That's ideal, yes. Um, The second guideline I have is make it distinct committed to what the thought of the conversion is yeah if you've got if your conversion is a big big gun it better be a big gun it better not be mistaken for your little bolter or something okay you don't want to like staple two bolters together unless what you're converting is a storm bolter so a guy holding two bolters that's a completely perfect storm bolter conversion as far as i'm concerned yeah i think clarity is a really good guideline because no matter how cool your model looks, if your opponent can't tell what anything in your army is, they're going to be unhappy with it. Exactly. The other thing to note is, uh, beyond clarity, is also make it consistent within itself. I know some orc players that have armies that look super, super cool, but everything is so wacky and different, it's like... Mm. Right. This... This this meltagun is a flash git, and this storm bolter is another flash git, and this third thing is a different flash git. But this other storm bolter here is also a tank buster. That's not okay. Right. Yeah. That that is where the the confusion element really can play in, and we're not trying to call out orcs specifically. Um. I find most orc players are good about this, but they're a very conversion-heavy army, as Ben mentioned. So, it's a thing. Uh, Probability-wise, you will see great orc conversions and poor orc conversions, because it's a common conversion army. Yes. Yeah, the the thing I want to brace here is the fact that, um, you know, once again, you see conversions for one of a number of reasons, and um, you really, really want to represent what you're trying to do. You can't just, like... Um, you know, glue a rocket launcher in the back of something, but cool, it's now this model. Like it, right? I I like a little bit more effort. I know people that get away with a lot less effort. Um, I've seen some really low effort conversions uh, and some and some and some stuff where like people just took like a third party like model and it's like, well, that doesn't even look close to that. Or like, or mm-hmm. they completely just tried doing like some weird like counts as or proxy thing where like, oh, all these guardsmen are cultists. I'm like. Mm. 
well right like a little bit more effort than just taking cadian cadian uh, troopers and calling them cultists would be appreciated yeah i think the the rule of cool here is a another good guideline to abide by um that if you've put effort into it and as we've already mentioned you are consistent and stay within sort of the size guidelines most people will be willing to accept it um especially if you have put in that effort of like oh you did a lot of work converting these guardsmen and does every one of your guardsmen have a las gun like they're supposed to maybe not but you're not hiding special weapons in there, so I'm not going to get confused about where your melt-a-guns are. And you've clearly put a lot of effort into them, so they are they may be more likely to accept that. Yeah. yeah another common conversion you see is you see a lot of um, people convert their own Forge World models. Um, yes. Where they're not able to get like a Forge, Forge World model, and they'll just make their own. And um, you know, I'm in the I'm in the the place of being okay with that uh, yeah. but as long as it looks completely different i don't want to be like well i thought this dre- i thought like that doesn't look like a dare dia dreadnought i'm sorry yeah uh, <laughs> if if you're running four different kinds of dreadnoughts i'd better be able to tell what each of those four are and especially the forge world one um because again it, it does come back around to like people kind of expect a certain amount of effort that you've put into things. Um, Mm -hmm. I am very understanding of people who don't have $750 to make a Forge World order for the two units that they want. Um, I don't feel like we should put that high of a monetary barrier to players being able to compete in tournaments effectively. But there still is the sort of respect for your opponent where you, you need to be making sure that your conversions are not going to cause problems during a game. Yeah. And I kind of want to brush up on like what options people have as far as uh, what they can do to convert or, you know, find uh, those, those final pieces that they're looking for. Um, Yeah. A a lot of it starts in your bits bin. That's the, uh, that's the obvious place. Right. Or your friend's bits bin. If you don't have much of one. Um, and like, yeah, there's so many people that just have so many bits lying around. Like, just you can get the. I don't need to st- stay too long on that, but like, you can get pretty creative there. And you have you have that. You have green stuff. And um, something that like is becoming way more common is people are like doing small recasts of their own thing. And like, that's perfectly legal. You're allowed to like make copies of your own things. Um, the, the, yeah. You start hitting some weird ethical lines. I can go on more about that later. But like, you well, like between the two products, green stuff and blue stuff, you can recreate bits if you need to let's let's touch on the legality and sort of like morality aspect of uh of of making bits like that there real quick because i think that is very commonly misunderstood uh, by people who don't really understand ip law or or copyright right and trademark and all that kind of stuff which is to be fair very complicated uh, but there, there are a lot of people who who get very antsy about that in ways that I think are kind of unnecessary. Um, do you want to, do you want to talk a little bit there? Um, so the, at the end of the day, uh, it's the legality is as long as you're not making money, don't, don't sell, don't, don't attempt to sell whatever you're recasting or whatever, uh, you're making. Um, mm-hmm. especially if it's a direct copy, uh, yeah. third party stuff, your own things, your own design. Sure. That's not, that doesn't really touch IP laws on as long as you're not trying to sell it as that or market it as that, uh, cause you can still sell something for free and then it, it get it get, you get into some grayer water there. But, um, mm. there's, but like for you to re recast your own bit, it, perfectly legal, nothing, nothing wrong with it. Right. Um, I know some TOs kind of want want to run on the honor system, but okay, your model must consist of fifty percent GW product, and that's that, that's kind of a, a more accepted thing, at least where I'm at, as far as what people mm. want to run with. 
but like if you recast an entire model and you painted it, there's not a real way of telling. Um, so right, and, that, and that's where you hit the ethical line of just like, well, I still need to support the game store. I still need to support you know GW for making this hobby. Where where do I go with that? Um, so yeah, just don't violate IP law, kids. That's that's important. Don't don't copy something and try and sell it. Um, I know that you know some people have access to uh, recasters across the globe that are ripping off uh, GW's product. Um, you know, right. there's, there's an ethical line in there and you can choose where to stand on that, but you know, I'm, I'm going to stand, stay there and don't, don't violate laws if you can, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Shaylin, I know, uh, like we travel to a little bit different circuit of tournaments than, uh, Ben does. Yeah. Um, what is your broad impression of like what the standard for acceptable like you know does it have to be 50 percent gw or do most tournaments not care what, what what do you see that as overall in the pacific northwest people don't care okay um what the to wants you to do is let them know in advance make your they, they care more about your invert conversions being clear than they care about what your inversion is mm-hmm that's basically it. I have, I think we went to one tournament where there was a 50% GW rule over the right. entire time we've been going. So it almost never comes up. And for those who are newer to the hobby, the 50% GW parts um, was an old rule from the Games Workshop official tournaments when they actually would like run events around the country and in various places. Um, that later morphed into other versions. I believe they eventually changed it to a 90% GW parts. Um, and the kind of current iteration is actually 100%, um, which maybe says a little bit about the direction that GW is going, but, um, you know, we don't need to dive too deep into how we all feel about that right now. Um, yeah, the majority of tournaments aren't ran or prize supported by GW, so it's really yeah. up to the TOs. Um, yes. I'd like to play a cool game. I like to support cool companies. I like to support game stores. I like my hobbies to keep existing. Just know that if you don't put money into a hobby, um, they're not going to, you know, those things aren't going to do well. Now, yeah. Yeah. with that said, there are some game stores that sell 3D printer time. So um, things are going in different directions is the easiest way to put that. Yeah, um, because we, we've already talked about sort of like bits conversions, which are probably mostly going to come from GW. Um, obviously, there are third-party companies um, that are not like recasters or anything like that, that are, you know, that, that simply make things for this game. Um Mm-hmm. We're not going to try and name them all here, but there are a lot of them, and many of them are very good. I ran a company that did that for a bit. Uh, well, well, we'll hit that part in a second, because I was, I was going to say that's our third thing. Uh, but there are uh, companies that usually in metal or resin produce that sort of stuff mm-hmm. uh, for various bits and whatnot, sometimes even full models. Uh, but then the the third option is 3D printing, which has become pretty big and that was what you had done yes i did that for a while um 3d printing is very very useful for conversions most importantly because it allows you to produce exactly the bit you want um i had shaylin custom make me quite a few different very specific things that simply did not exist anywhere else um it's not cheap to commission someone because you're you're paying for their time to design something and then also paying for printer time. Um, mm-hmm. But if you want a very specific conversion, it can be a great option to have something that is truly unique. Yes. Uh, the other thing it's good for is um, for people who have motor disabilities and stuff, hitting undo on a 3D printer is trivially, or in CAD, is way easier than it is to undo a sculpture in real life. So if you're someone who doesn't have steady hands, 3D printing enables a whole slew of conversion potential for you that you didn't have before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's... 3D printing kind of is what, at the end of the day, like, it's going to take over what we talk about for the rest of this, but it, it, uh, it's flipping 
the possibilities and a lot of raises a lot of questions in the hobby in general of what what do we do about it and how do i approach it um i'm friendly toward it i yeah. recently started doing some of it myself um and like i'm doing some really cool stuff with it uh 40k and non 40k related of course but yeah um, at, at we're gonna... day, I, i've i printed out some cool models so yeah, we're going to we're going to come back and hit that some more in the second half of the episode because I think there's a lot more to talk about there. Uh, but as far as this part of the discussion goes, um just know that 3D printing does have a little bit of a stigma attached to it. There are some tournaments that are not as free with 3D printing as they are with, uh, say, cast bits or third-party stuff or something like that. So you should be aware of that, but I would say that acceptance of it is growing very rapidly and they're even embracing uh, in some cases. For example, like the you know game store that sells 3D printer time. Uh, great if you don't have four or five thousand dollars to sink into a high quality 3d printer yes i will also point out that that at least from my personal standpoint is how is 3d printing different than sculpting something with green stuff that's getting a whole lot into the uh morality issue which is not always entirely rational um but i think there is a a component of uh, 3d printing can mass produce things whereas sculpting cannot um, mm-hmm. and there is a reasonable concern there that it can damage the hobby. Um, mm-hmm. but again, that's, that's a, a subject that we're not going to dive into too deep right here because, uh, wow, that's a, a really big thing to try and discuss all of the, the specifics of. Yeah, there's, the, so the, I think 3D printing is kind of the, the can of worms of, uh, of this hobby. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, do either of you have any other uh, sort of guidelines, recommendations, or stuff like that that you personally use when, like, going to tournaments and deciding, like, how to do conversions and that kind of stuff? So there's also a, another small brand of conversion, which is where you've added in uh, magnets to a certain area of something that wasn't, mm-hmm. and basically made a sponson where one didn't exist before, and now the what thing in question duels purposes for you. Right. So you have one model do two pieces of work. Again, that it all just boils down to clarity, making sure it's consistent throughout your army, mm-hmm. if it is clear, and, you know, putting effort in. So Yeah. yeah my my thing is make it obvious. Um I at the end of the day should be able to look at those models and go, yes, that is that model. Even if it looks like completely proposed or completely different like as long as it's you know know, i'm not confused and being like well that looks like that and that looks like that and uh i really can't tell the difference between these three models other than like what you're telling me is your conversion which ends up being like a pistol on their belt or something right um yeah and there's like there's like a lot of really weird ones that were i don't even care if it's truly converted as long as it's written on the sheet right like i can't tell the difference between fusion pistol harlequins and right and the shuriken pistol harlequins like it i just assume they're all fusion pistol okay unless it says (laughs) in the sheet (laughs) Yeah, uh, cleave more towards, ideally, someone should be able to look at your army without you there and be able to tell what each model in your list is. Um, Now, not always going to be the case, because not everyone is familiar with every army to the degree that they even know what a neurodisruptor is, so they may not be able to pick out your conversion for a neurodisruptor. But the ideal should be that anyone could look at your army list, look at your army, and be able to tell what each unit corresponds to. Yes. So, I, once again, I'm going to give my little light on orcs here. Our weapons are named so wacky. Um, yeah. And they all look so wacky that, like, your opponents just roll their eyes as soon as you start naming them. You can literally just, like, tape anything onto it. it, it it'll, <laughs> it'll be fine. <laughs> And as yeah. long as it's the same thing on all of the units, all your all your rockets are one thing, all your big shooters are another thing, all of your tank bombs are a third thing. As long as those three things are all distinct from each other, you're probably good. 
Yeah, my yes. uh, my shock attack gun for my soup for when the relic one existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, may it rest in peace. Yeah. Um, was a uh, was a tau ion cannon with a bunch of orky gubbins, like pasted all over it, and it was all mm-hmm. super orky. And he just had this giant gun that's on top of his head. Um, and I loved him, and I miss him. Yeah, poor relic shock attack gun. I'm not getting any. That doesn't sound like real sympathy there. Uh, no, no, I hated that thing. It it shot down a whole lot of airplanes and a whole lot of other things. Uh, but I I do love the shock attack gun from all the way back in second edition when you could accidentally teleport yourself inside a guy and kill him instantly. <laughs> that was it. It's a great weapon, and I'm glad that it was good for a while. But I'm okay with it not being good anymore. Anyways. Yeah, <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, take a, a little bit of a, a moment of silence for the poor shock attack gun and maybe, uh, you know, visit the quartermaster real quick. And then we come back, we'll, we'll take a little bit of a, a different perspective on things. Greetings, this is your good host. I am here to extend a special COVID offer to any and all gaming-related businesses that would like to advertise for free on In the Finest Hour. Times are hard, and we want to support you. Give us a jingle at inthefinesthour at gmail.com, or message us on Facebook, and we'll hook you up with the advertising. And we are back. So for the the second half of things, we're gonna we're gonna make things a little bit more personal because uh, we've already talked about sort of our experiences at the the tournaments and whatnot. Uh, but this is a subject that I think uh, a lot of people have uh, capital F feelings about, um, and so I think it's good to kind of like have each of our hosts here just touch on the subject and how they interpret it in their sort of uh, personal experience and how it guides their own conversions, but then uh, also maybe talk a little bit about how we feel about 3D printing individually and where we see it going and how we see it affecting the hobby. So let's let's talk. start out talking about uh, conversions and... Uh, sort of how we personally view them and how it guides our own actions. Um, Shaylin, I know you do a lot of conversions for your Grey Knights, which uh, sometimes surprises people because Grey Knights are not often a heavily converted army. <laughs> so uh, it actually started with me building my first model, which was a Nemesis Dread Knight, mm-hmm. and going, everyone is laughing and joking about the baby carrier, how can I turn this up to 11? Right. Now I have a drag queen dread knight. Right. I also, one of the reasons I got into 40k is I just finished art school for sculpture. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make art with these things. I'm going right. to keep my art chots up by making 40k. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't even know that myself. Yeah. yeah. Now, now you know. Um, so that's partly what prompted me to get into the hobby. And that is what drives my conversions. Um is art and just like i think that would look cool if it had blank on it so i'm gonna right. either make a blank or find a blank how how do you uh kind of regard conversions across the table like what is it what is it that makes an unacceptable conversion for you uh even turn if like you're playing against it unclarity basically if i'm sitting there and i can't delineate between my opponent's units in any meaningful way like i'm sitting there going i can't tell your troop choices from your heavy support choices Mm -hmm. from your fast attack choices and you can't tell it we got a problem i i think this is especially common for like power armored armies where all of the models kind of look the same to start with yeah um so i have the I, I am always of, I, I want you to do the cool thing and make that, like, you know, giant squig off out of the pirate ship, go ahead. I'm totally okay with that, as long as there aren't, like, 18 other pirate ships in your army that I can't tell apart. Right. I sure hope not. 
<laughs> That's a lot of giant <laughs> squig-offs. Apocalypse is a thing, Ben. Ben, how about yourself? Is there are there any sort of like conversion no nos that uh, will will set you off at a tournament or, or or something like that? Um, there there's a, of course there's the rule breaking ones I that I mentioned at the beginning where it's sure. just clearly breaking a rule. But uh, the the next one the the no nos I that I want to go with is just like. I, I need to be able to see it at a distance. Um, mm. I don't care what it's made out of. Um, I don't care if it's a Toys R Us toy with a bunch of stuff on it. As long as it looks the part, I will get cranky if it doesn't look like it was, if it's ob- like, you know, I, I made fun of beer koozies last one. If it's a beer koozie, I'm going to say something. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let me, let me throw this one out to the two of you then. At what point would you call a TO over to sort of, you know, ask for a ruling? Is like, hey, is this a legal model? Is this acceptable at the tournament? What what would draw your ire to that degree? Um, if it is noticeably off-sized and they don't mm-hmm. have a backup thing, like, for ex. For example, like they have this really cool Demon Prince conversion, but it's on one of those bigger than forty millimeter bases, right? Like the the Knight Oval base or something. N- not the Knight Oval base. I, I'm talking about the one size up from the forty millimeter. No, oh, the Dreadnought. Uh, I think base. it's like a sixty or something. Yeah, yeah the Dreadnought base. Um, and it's on the Dreadnought base because it just looks super cool on that. And they have an actual Demon Prince thing that looks kind of like shit, but it is the actual model. I'm okay with them using the cool model, provided they have a backup. Like, it's like, yeah, I know it's the wrong size, but I have a backup if you care. Yeah, that's actually something we we didn't touch on before, but is can be a very good strategy. Um, if you are using a conversion that is off-size, that can be fine as long as you have the actual model itself there that you can offer to swap in if your opponent is uh, put off by the altered size. Um, exactly. I've, I've seen that with a number of players. Uh, I think it is a, a good move because it allows you to use your cool model that is a different size and like some people won't care and some people will. So if they do care and it's a problem for them, you use the original model. Mm-hmm. And most people don't care that the original model looks worse because they understand that's your army centerpiece paint job. Right. And the other one is there to satisfy the size requirement. <laughs> I get way more ticked off and like touchy about stuff where someone obviously put in low effort and is just really trying to skate by on the like, I, I swear to God, I put these models together and it's just like, they like they made some MDF cardboard MDF and cardboard like artillery mm. and it's not painted and it's not like that's when I start drawing the line. Like I, yeah. we're like we're like it's correct size, they have stuff, but it's not even painted, and especially in ninth now that painting actually gives you points. Right. Um and like it's 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 just so low effort and like I, that's made from a cereal box guy and it doesn't even look good. That's I guess that's my no no. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm a little bit with uh I'm in the same place as Ben on this one, where I'm I'm actually more likely to accept something that is the wrong size than I am something that they clearly did not put any work into. Um, because I feel that everyone has different preferences for what is a, you know, quote, correct sized model and what is an advantage versus a disadvantage because there's a lot of ways you can look at that it's like well the bigger base makes him easier to hit but it also you know makes his auras bigger and that's an advantage and a disadvantage and and how do you decide whether that's modeling for advantage um but it's very easy for me to tell what someone didn't even try with so Mm -hmm. if they spent 30 hours on that one model making it look exactly the way they wanted it i feel like i'm way more likely to let that fly than if it is a cardboard cutout that they like super glued a las cannon onto but it's the right size yeah uh but Again, that's this. This is my personal feeling on things. Obviously, there is uh, there's a lot of different places you can come from and all that. Uh, but I, I respect the effort. is is really what it comes down to for me. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so let's go ahead and hit this other subject that we've kind of been swerving around for the rest of the episode, uh, mm -hmm. namely 3D printing. Uh, yes. Both of you have some very direct experience with this sort of thing, either professionally or as a hobby. W let's hear some opinions on where you see 3D printing going in the future and how is that going to affect the hobby? Because I think that's a concern a lot of people have that like 3D printing could damage the hobby and damage the profitability of the hobby. Do you see that as something that's likely? So there's a couple things. One of the things 3D printing has given us is actually those really, really cool models that are getting released by GW are enabled sure. by 3D printing. They prototype them with it. Right. Because it's way cheaper. So they can edit and design and refine them. And part of the way they're reacting to it, and the entire reason the Primaris line exists, I kind of feel, is the more complicated they make it, the harder it is to truly replicate with 3D printing right. Yeah, people tend to kind of overestimate what 3D printing like any new technology can do. Like, it has some very distinct limits. It, it does. Um, so for context, my current job right now is I am a 3D printing technician on behalf of Hewlett Packard. Mm -hmm. And I ran Freda Forge for a, for a couple years. So I know firsthand a lot about the hard limits of 3D printing. And the reality is super small stuff is hard. And we work with super small stuff. Yeah, there's there's a resolution limit that you just can't get down to with the, um, we'll say, commercially available kind of uh, 3D printers, as opposed to the super high precision stuff that GW can make, uh, or that a, a larger company, because there are some of the companies like Pop the Monkey and whatnot, Pop Goes the Monkey and whatnot, who are able to do that kind of like industrial level precision. Yes. Uh, the final thing I was going to add here is um, there is... We'll go back to that. Uh, I was going to say the other concern uh, might be, and obviously you know a little bit of this from experience, is the, the design work required is not trivial. Like, just because you oh, have the ability no. to make anything doesn't mean you can make anything because you still have to, like, get in there with a, a CAD program and actually do it. <laughs> So I can tell you that uh, some of the more complicated design things I did for Sean took literally up to 50 hours of my time, yeah. several tries and design iterations. He doesn't know that, but I kind it was of knew it. not cheap <laughs> and it took a while. Yes, uh, a fair amount of money changed hands with some of those projects. Uh, yes. But that is sort of the upside and the downside, is you can make anything you want as long as you're willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, uh, and the reality is when you DIY something, it's often way more expensive than just buying it. Oh, that yes. was what I was thinking about. 3D printed stuff has material properties that are fundamentally di different than cast plastic. Yes. Surface quality, for an example, and physical model strength. Um, yep. I can tell you right now, the cast plastic is a lot easier to work with. And that is probably going to remain true for a long while, because people outside of really high-end industrial, it's going to be a while before it hits the civilian market. Yeah. Uh, it, they, they, they don't really do the same thing. So in the same, like, plastic molds have not replaced uh, resin or metal models and bits, uh, because they, they work in fundamentally different ways, and they have different strengths. Yes. Uh, the one thing I will say, though, uh, as to where 3D printing's going, is we're probably going to see 3D printed molds. Yeah. That is coming. Yep, that, that is definitely a, a possibility. Um, ben, what's your take on this whole subject? So, I'm at a crossroads. Um, there, there's a line where it's ethically right uh, and perfectly fine, and there's lines that you do not want to cross that are not ethically right and aren't good for the hobby. Um, I think most common sense can tell you where some of those lines are, mm -hmm. uh, but and some of the printers that are even just um, available to um, your your uh, consumer consumer grade. Yes, uh, some of your consumer grade stuff out there. Um, is actually pretty pretty good once you paint it. Um, mm -hmm. It's 
getting pretty close to indistinguishable. Um, and the line there is like, don't copy, you know, direct, direct uh, GW product. Like, don't print a Primaris Marine is what I'm trying to tell you not to do. Um, yeah. It's probably not going to stop some people, but like that, there, that's the ethic line right there. Um, and I'm I'm cool with 3D printing. If I'm TOing an event and someone just like, I have some 3D printed third-party stuff that and it looks great and it's just obviously cool. Like they have some, like, you know, I printed off some uh, some orc buggies that are, they're definitely different from the GW product, but they look freaking cool. Um, I, I want to be able to play with them. If place somebody doesn't want me to play with them, that's fine. Um, I'll get the GW ones. But, mm-hmm. uh, no, that's, that's, I'm I'm definitely not going to go around copying you know exact for exact models there, but it's it's definitely hitting that line. And it's getting real close for me on on like well here's here's where we can hurt the hobby, uh, here's where it's ethic, ethically not cool. Um, but I think I think GW at some point is going to need to live and learn. They're going to need to adapt. And like I've already forked over a bunch of money for the files to print things. Um, right. specifically like i i paid money to print off files that print a cool def copter um or uh-huh. uh, specifically the chin arc because um, mm, like, yeah. there's no real way to get a hold of chin arcs nope. uh, <laughs> so I, I printed some yeah i think the concern that people do legitimately have because there is some kind of hysteria around all of this um but there is a legitimate concern that uh at a certain point 3D printing will replace people buying models from GW, third-party retailers, or their hobby shop. And that is a reasonable concern, because as Ben mentioned before, like, if you don't spend money on the hobby, the hobby dies. And the money you spend on a 3D printer does not go back into the hobby. Uh, It goes into the 3D printer business, which... Maybe you want to support that. Great. There's there's plenty of good things to say there, but it's not coming back into the hobby unless that money is going to people who are working in the hobby. For example, someone who is making those STL files to print a chin orc off, as Ben mentioned, uh, or something like that. Um, I think the hobby is going to have to adopt to that a little bit as they kind of, like, grapple with this as a subject. Um, Do you think that's the model of the future, that, like, people are going to be selling STL files and or printer time for people to make their own models? Or do you think that the... um, uh, the kind of prerequisites and skill level necessary to do even that kind of work are going to be more than uh, most people are interested in? Well, I'm going to back you up a bit, and a lot of it comes down to, once again, where the hobby wants to draw its line and what, on what they allow. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes down to tournament organizers and what's supported. So um, the majority of your hobbies out there that are similar to this, they this has never come up before. This is this is, this is new. You're not right. like, like, you know, in card games, you're not allowed to, you know, print off your own cards and such like that. You need to have a way to authorize that these are your own and you're only ever allowed to use those cards ever and like right hop over and not try to do apples oranges but you know hop over hop over to this miniature gaming um the moment that they start drawing the line on it then that's the way it's going to be but the reason typically why people draw that line is because it's a gw supported event which usually means some sort of prize support or something currently gw doesn't do that outside of a handful of events especially in the united states um, so it, it's going to come down to the independent circuits to make that decision on what's cool and what's not. Um, and I think you're going to see in the near future a more defined line. Because mm-hmm. right now that line isn't defined at all. Yes. So you think they're going to come out with official like guidelines and whatnots? I, I, I would expect it in the near future um, it, of some sort of to see at least a line of you know, th- we do allow third-party stuff. However, and we're already seeing it at stuff that is G- G- that has some GW support. Like LVO has a stated line of what they allow. Now, sure. Does that actually happen on the table? Do people are people going to try and circumvent it? Look, there we have all alignments among thousands of people. Yeah. There's going to be people that that do and don't. And you know, I'm not going to lie to you there. Like, some people are actually properly evil. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, I won't lie. I've I've played I've played with with a with recasted models before. I didn't know they recast my bottom, but it's like, oh, well, it's Chinese resin, and I, I guess it is what it is. Yeah. Um, it it's it becomes a weird a weird line, and it's like, well, where do you draw the line on enforcement? Where do you draw the line on finding out if it is that? And right. it's going to be honor system. Um, but at the same time, that's when you'll see those third party models disappear. That's when you'll see more of a crackdown on what conversions are acceptable and what aren't. Um, mm. And I don't want to say the world is fall the, the sky is falling on this, but I would say you'd see something more defined like that 50% idea um, in the near future. And I think I'd like to see more 50% of the army must be that. Yeah. Um, that way you can still 3D print a cool model, uh, but you still have to like be supporting the, the game in some way, shape, or form. That's not an unreasonable stance to take on things, I think. Uh, and I definitely prefer it on a by-army rather than by-model standard, because, like, I may want a model that's composed completely differently than the way the GW model is, and I think there should be some freedom there. I made left-handed silencers, because why are all of the heavy guns right-handed? Ooh, yeah, yeah, it gets a whole can of worms to open up there. Uh, Shailene, where where do you sit on, like... What, where the future takes this um do you think 3d printing is going to become a like personal thing where like everyone's going to have access to it or do you think it's going to remain the the domain of kind of like specialists and and people with the ability to uh you know use technical knowledge above what most people are capable of so i think the reality is it's going to be kind of a gradient uh i think if people i think the technology is definitely going to get to the place where if people want a 3d printer they can get one sure i mean the it's getting cheaper it's getting better the resolution the technology improves every year it's got a moore's law thing kind of following it uh to a degree At, at the end of the day we are dealing with physical atomic stuff so we do actually hit physical hard limits at certain points but as i said people engineer around them yeah what what I think is going to actually happen is we might see Games Workshop saying certain things like, all right, you we have put up for sale STLs of our old shitty guardsman models. Just hmm. print them. We're not going to try to make those anymore. Buy the STL. And at that point, it becomes more of buying the official thingamajigger. Right. So that's an example of, of where I think it will it will actually eventually go in the end is there's going to be a gradient of uh, of, of things like that. It's, I say it's entirely possible Games Workshop would do that, and it's also entirely possible that they crack super hard down on it too and try to resist it for a very long time. But I think in the end, people will 3D print because they want to 3D print. Um, and they'll use the talents and skills of others either through um, hiring design hours or just like buying an STL file. Um, right. So I think the the best thing to do is to not cower from it because it's coming and there is no avoiding it's coming. Um, yeah. I, I work I work on the bleeding edge of 3D printing technology at Hewlett Packard right now. And I can tell you it's only going to get better from here. Yeah, I want to comment on something that you said there for a second, Sean, on... Mm-hmm. Oh, and I completely lost my train of thought. God dang it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's two of us tonight. Uh, dang it. I was going to throw my my two cents in here on the subject. Um, I 100% agree with Shaylan that this is something that is coming. This is something that is happening. It's not going to stop just because some companies don't like it. There's too much market force behind it. Um and too much innovation happening outside the context of our hobby. Um, you know, regardless of what we think of it, other people want 3D printing to happen, and it will. Mm-hmm. But that said, I think GW has a long history of resisting change well past the point of no return. Mm-hmm. Um, I, will, I will point to the way they dealt with the internet uh, for the past 15 years, um, a, a facet that has only really changed at all in the past one or two years, depending on how generous you're being with them. Um, yeah, I think GW is going to fight this tooth and nail and they're going to fight a losing battle on it. 
because it is coming uh, and it's going to get cheaper and easier and more accessible. I think there are ways they could approach this that would be better for them, but I think what they're going to do is try and fight to keep everything the way it is, uh, which is going to hurt them in the end, because they're not going to be willing to sell the STL files of their stuff for you to print out. They're going to desperately try to clamp down on that, and it's not going to work very well for them. Um, that is perhaps maybe a little pessimistic of a view, but you know, that's that's kind of where I think they're going to go. Yes. Admittedly, Games Workshop has had the joy of having of losing a lot of their old guard who had old ideas and got a new guard in who is a lot more savvy about the internet. It's and it's possible they'll do better than I think. I won't say it's not a potential, but I feel like this is the road they've been following and the road they're going to continue to take. Yes. Yeah. I just wanted to uh, be on the line of just like, there's not that many people that still have access to this yet or not. And it's still a very low percentage of people that have access to 3D printing or own one. Um, Directly anyways. Yeah. I think you're looking at people that are very at what would be the enthusiast level of this type of hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I, I think that GW would put be putting the resources poorly into fighting it just because there, it, it, it well, is such a low percentage of what would their total sales that would be impacted just because there's still so many people well, buying models. And I'm still definitely going to buy models. Yeah, I own a 3D printer. Yeah, I 3D print models and cool stuff, but... I'm still, you know, forking over more than enough uh, toward. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, I was I was speaking more in a forward looking like what's the future going to hold for this? I don't think GW is out there with a, a wrench and hammer ready to smash any 3D printers right now. But I think it will come to a point where they they start to believe it is a legitimate threat to their business model and are going to try and find a way to stop that. I already think they're kind of there because they they fight really really hard um, against even some STL files that even try to name themselves near their products. Um, yeah. Because it does it does touch IP law. Uh, by yeah. Naming stuff near their products. Oh. Uh, but Uh-oh. like, I think we got to end the episode before we get into a discussion about deep IP law here because that's a swamp we'll never escape. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the point I wanted to make was it's already very cheap for someone to enter uh into the 3d printing world i don't think it's going to get too much cheaper so like i as far as market expansion and such i don't i think their 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 energy would be it's wasted effort yeah yeah i i agree um but but perception is sometimes different from reality so uh you know, if we look to past examples of, for example, the the Chapter House versus GW lawsuit, um, GW was not actually losing any significant amount of money to them, but it was the the perception and some of the other uh, complementary factors that that played into their decision there. Yeah, as I said, it's just going to get better. More people are going to pick them up because once another three mm-hmm. D printer is in the market, you've got another maker on the table. Right. And I i mean, I've worked with printers from $200,000 through $2,000. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it does, it is getting che- cheaper. I've even worked with a $200 printer. They exist. They exist now. Yeah, that's the thing. It is, it is going to keep getting cheaper. My printer, my printer was one eighty nine ninety nine on Amazon.com. And it's, and it it's a good one. Wonderfully. Yeah. So I, I have no issues with it. <laughs> I got to print like with industrial grade printers at work. So yeah. that, like literally make uh, jet think... sounds when you turn them on. It's the coolest thing ever. I can't do that. <laughs> I just have something cool in my kitchen counter. That's all. There are a lot of different levels of this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully we have cleared up some of the misconceptions people might have and uh, kind of put some ideas out there in terms of maybe what people should be looking at for in the future when it comes to like maybe you want to do some 3D printing or you are wondering, you know, how how should I feel about 3D printing and how is it going to affect stuff? 
but if you have comments, questions, or uh, maybe just want to talk to us about a list or something else unrelated to this episode, and you want to get in contact us with us, you can email us in, in the finest hour in gmail.com or contact us through Facebook, where we are also in the finest hour. And if you like what you do here, we do here, and you want to have access to a special suite of bonus content and whatnot, uh, we do have a Patreon, where we also in the finest hour. And for five bucks a month, you not only get episode to some of our episodes a little bit early when we do a uh, crosstalk or something of the sorts, uh, but you also get to talk with us on our private Facebook and Discord, and you can just chat with us about lists or see some of the very, very powerful memes that we post, uh, or just, you know, reminisce about the awful things that are happening in the world around us right now. We kind of do a little bit of all of that. Or hear me mimic the 3D printer noises from work. <laughs> yes, some of that as well. <laughs> Uh, so, thank you very much to all of our Patreons who have supported us. Uh, we really appreciate everything that you've done, and it, it's what makes the show possible, and it pays for the hosting and equipment and everything else we need to make this. I'd like to thank uh, Rylan Woodrow for doing our awesome iconography art, and the art of many other 40k communities now, so. Yeah, he's really been putting some stuff out there. He's been churning them out. I love mine. And they look Fantastic! Indeed. If you enjoyed the tunes on this show, um, you can find th more of those from Dankmuse, and he produces uh, the, his quality work on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. So, I think that wraps it up for this week. Next week, we're going to have a little bit of a, a different sort of crosstalk episode. We're going to dip into this new Necron Codex and, and see what we think of that. Uh, but until then, I have been Sean Morgan for In the Finest Hour. Shailen Allen West. Ben Jurek. Thanks for listening.